Well, 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 welcome to the Yoga Living Project podcast, where we flesh out the ways to live yoga off the mat. This week's installment, Suzanne and I sit down, Suzanne Mariska Bishop, senior teacher, co-coordinator of extended format teacher training at Cambio, and among many other things, um, we're sitting down to chat about the ecstatic curtain coming up next week, December 7th, no, December 9th, next Saturday, not next Saturday, two Saturdays, December 9th, okay, wherever you're at, listen to this, December 9th, 2017, Planet Earth, it's going to be from 7.30 to 9.30, it's a Cambio community event, meaning, as always, all community events are donation-based, so, um, the reason this is an important one is because we're trying to get the message out to people um, that the benefit of kirtan and ecstatic dance, and we were kind of, um, I think, you know, I'm really excited about this one. This was going to be our first one. We've been dancing around it, no pun intended, <laughs> uh, putting these two things together because kirtan, as we've been doing that for about a little over a year. Um, and ecstatic dance, we started around the same time. Um, they've just been like huge transformational experiences that people just like, they get out of it and they're just like, oh my gosh, I love that so much. I can't wait for the next one. Make sure you let me know when it is. So not only did we want to extend the invitation to all those fans, um, but also folks who have never had the experience to try a kirtan. Um, and we address in this top in this conversation a little bit about why somebody might be tentative to um, come to a kirtan. One, uh, number two, why you shouldn't be because everybody is welcome just as you are, no matter what. Um, and how it is a form of yoga practice that's completely underserved and so important. Um, and then we do the same kind of uh, schema for the ecstatic dance, why it shouldn't be something that's intimidating, how it is a totally fun, welcome, unique, personal, individual, and authentic experience for yourself to explore your body, movement, and connection of vibration through the sound waves in the air and ether. And, and also, uh, not a dissimilar, but maybe a little bit more of a... Um, uh, for lack of a better term, ecstatic benefit. So one of the terms that comes up a little bit in this topic, in this uh, conversation, is bhakti. And bhakti is something that um, is, is a form of yoga, but it's also something that cultivates when it's practiced uh, this concept of bhav. So bhakti traditionally just means devotion, but usually in a yoga practice it kind of means, um, you know, we get into what, what that kind of generally and conventionally means in terms of a yoga practice. But when you practice bhakti yoga, one of the side effects is bhav. And bhav is like that spiritual love. It's like agape, if you're familiar with that Greek term, to define a love that is higher than um, eros, that is higher than, um, than what uh, generally we associate with our day-to-day -day preferences and desires and like 
So to say something like, oh my gosh, I love Cambio uh, Yoga. Well, you know, if we're not really uh, aligned with that internal instrument of the heart, when we say that, then it's coming from intellectual place and it's disconnected from Bob, even though we may have felt Bob for Gambio, so we know it's there. Um, but the experience of Kirtan and ecstatic dance, what I'm trying to get at, these practices of bhakti, of letting yourself loose, allowing yourself some playfulness, allowing yourself to be heard, to be felt, to be experienced, this is going to create um, Bob in a way that I think um, raises a very important question. And and I pose that question at the end of this topic. So even if you decide to, you're like, I'm over listening to you to talk about it. This 30 minutes is too long. Skip to the very end because I have a, uh, not so much a proposal or challenge, even though you could say that, but, but really a pretty significant question that I think that this topic raises for any serious yoga practitioner. And I want to just encourage you all, um, even if you're going to stop listening after this intro, to come try it out and give it, give it a shot on December 9th and see what you think about it because it's something that we're super excited about, super passionate about, and the more we do it, the more we love it, and the more we realize it's important and in, the, in the yoga community as a yoga practice and um, how it is so underserved. The experience of bhakti, the experience of bhav, not just in yoga, but in the community in general. So we're just doing nothing short of trying to save the world with this ecstatic kirtan, so come help us do that. And um, in other news, I do want to let you know, Thanksgiving, we're going to be doing a limited schedule at Cambio, so make sure that you keep an eye out for that. Uh, teachers out there, we've got the adjusting workshop coming up with me this Sunday, right after Thanksgiving. A lot of folks are going to be out of town, but it's also a nice excuse if you got folks visiting in town to get away from the mayhem for a couple hours. It's from 12 to 3. If you sign up by Friday, it is $75. That's the early bird price. After that, it's 90 bucks. It does count for three CEUs towards your Yoga Alliance continuing education credits. And the focus of this adjusting workshop, as it's uh, titled, is part two, is going to be around standing posture. So no, you do not have to have done part one to do this. Um, and no, you don't have to be a graduate of a teacher training program yet to do this either. You can be enrolled in one. So I think, I think that's all as we wind down the year. It's been a really killer year at Cambio, and I just, I really appreciate, um, the way the community's grown and, um, the things that are coming up to the surface, the things that are bubbling up to the surface just gives me so much hope and promise for 2018, especially in a world that seems to be ever increasingly, uh, I guess, I don't know, attracted to the darkness of the world. Um, I'm glad that um, for some of you folks out there listening to this, that Cambio um, and its mission of accessibility, community, and education can be somewhat a bit of a beacon of light for you. So. Hey, thanks for taking time to check out the Yoga Living podcast, the Yoga Living Project podcast. Um, all the other episodes are um, archived on the webpage there. So if you like this one, make sure that you 
peruse through for your commutes and whatnot. Um, I heard recently somebody was like, yeah, when I'm at work, sometimes I'll just like go to the bathroom and put on a podcast while I'm sitting in the bathroom. I'm like, oh, that's a very intimate experience to be sharing with somebody. So if you're listening to this in the bathroom, tight. And uh, for the rest of you out there, namaste. Oh, good. Because that's what we're doing on December 9th. That's right. Did you know that? I think I heard something about uh-huh. that. So, um, so, just kind of the broad brushstroke of what it is. Like, we're going to be doing, come here. We're going to be doing a two-hour event, right? One-hour kirtan, mm-hmm. one-hour ecstatic dance. People get there early, we'll have some tribal markers that they can paint themselves up and make themselves look cool. We'll transform the space as we transform the, uh, the music from, oh, from kirtan to ecstatic dance. Because it'll be an hour of kirtan and an hour of ecstatic dance. Mm-hmm. And it's donation cost because it's uh, can be a community event. That's right. So why should people come? Why should people... Because here's the thing, I think that this is... Kirtan's scary for people for a litany of reasons. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a different language, it's weird music that wasn't part of their childhood and growing up, for the most part. Unless you had some hippy-dippy parents who yeah. had a wide cultural, you know, representation growing up. Yeah, and it calls on you to use your voice and explore that. And then you gotta sing. You don't have to sing, but... But it's better if you sing. If you come, you'll probably end up singing. Well, they call it chanting. Mm-hmm. Because it's not... Like, the melody... There is melody to it, but mm-hmm. it's super easy. It's repetitive. It's always super simple melodies. It's completely repetitive. Mm-hmm. And it's never, like... Even the melodies, like, the rhythm is easy, and so is the, the actual melodic structure, but it's not, like, hitting the high Cs or anything, like, operatic singing and... There's not breath work involved. It's like the most rudimentary. It's like row, row, row your boat kind of singing. Right. And you have us there and your community to guide you and support you through it. Yeah, I think most people are surprised because they kind of, when they come to it for the first time, they they are self-conscious about it to an extent, about, um, you know, being heard and having a bad voice or not being a singer. And then I think it's very evident very early on that, like, nobody there is worried about how you sound. Mm-mm. Like that's not what it's about, right? Like nobody cares if you're a good singer or not. There, are, no, there are people who come who are like good singers who will like really sing loud and like be heard, mm-hmm. which is cool. It's great. And then there's people who are quiet who just kind of want to like fade in the background, and that's totally available to them too. Like I think it's easy to do. But yeah, they don't have to sing, I suppose, right? Right, you could listen if you want to, or you could take a break if that feels more comfortable. But I think most people's experiences, they come and they end up feeling comfortable and they feel like they want to sing. Um, I think we strive to make a really 
comfortable and accessible environment for people to explore that part of themselves, whether they're experienced in singing and Sanskrit or it's their first time and they haven't really sang in years. Yeah, and it's not like the pressure's on them. They're not like, you know, the worst kinds of performances are, number one, when you're in like a recital. I don't know if you've ever, did you ever take music lessons or yes, play instruments? Mm -hmm. There is nothing, even for like really well-developed performers, seem like excellent musicians just fall to pieces in a recital format mm -hmm. because on it's stage. like well on stage is different than recital like on stage is hard too because mm -hmm. all eyes are on you and that's I guess what I'm getting at is that nobody you know the eyes are on us if there's even eyes open like most people have right. their eyes closed but like you're part of the almost like a Greek chorus type of right. thing right so if anybody's gonna screw it up <laughs> it's gonna be us it's gonna be and we do <laughs> Often and nobody, well, if they care, we're this is our official public they apology. Have, <laughs> they haven't mentioned it to us, and they yet. haven't mentioned <laughs> it, but we don't care if you if people mess up. No, we want to hear you sing. People say to me, they're like, Oh, you don't want to hear me sing, and uh, they do say that. And my answer to that is, I, I do actually, I really sincerely do. I want to hear you sing. Well, I think ecstatic dance has a whole level of uh, barrier around it too because people are scared to dance but I want to get to that in a minute because I also want to talk about beyond just trying to encourage people to get beyond the fear barrier around singing in kirtan why to do kirtan those are the people who've never done it because we do get the people who are like oh you know like I'm open minded enough to try it all the way to people who are like oh I sing with a men's choir you know, I love singing, mm -hmm. yeah. but no matter where you're at on the spectrum of singing, like, it seems that, like, kirtan provides something you can't get in any other part of your, mm -hmm. not only just your yoga practice, but, like, really isn't supported in most of modern-day society. Like, the, the benefits, the results, the effects of it, mm -hmm. the what-you-get part of it, I yeah. think is really unique. So what do you get about kirtan? Why do you love it so much? Well, kirtan is... I mean, I love singing in general, uh, and I do believe that everybody has a voice, whether they think that they do or not. Um, but I think, for me, kirtan is a, it's a channel for a, a very spiritual energy. And that's not religious in any sense, but um, you, know, you could look at it as a way of opening your chakras. We talk a lot about chakras in yoga. Um, so it's a way to open up some of the channels in your body. And a lot of people report feeling different physically or feeling more open in the lungs or in the throat area mm -hmm. after doing kirtan. Well, and I think that, like, it, it doesn't even have to be that. Because that can be woo-woo to people. Right. Like, I think some of the benefits, some of the effects of it, um, you can talk about the fact that scientifically you were a conglomerate of molecules and cells that are vibrating in frequency. Mm -hmm. And when you start to hone in your voice, your breath pattern, your mental concentration and focus, all around the same um, frequency, mm -hmm. you start to come into tune in a way that is completely unique. And I think that what's so cool about Kirtan is that the repetition allows something deeper to unfold than just singing along with the song. Now, I'm a huge fan of like, music, and I love music and singing along in the car or in the shower or whatever, or on stage. Um, but I think that Kirtan gives you something that 
singing along to you know the new Coldplay song is isn't just isn't going to give you the same effect because at a certain point, usually during a kirtan, and this will vary from person to person, you get to a a, a layer of fatigue mm-hmm. with it. Like that's kind of the first thing is like you're like okay, you kind of feel yourself into it, you settle down into the rhythm, into the tempo, into the harmony of it, and you kind of can draft off of the event of it happening and other people around you singing the whole song. Then you get to a point where you're like, how long is this going to go on for? I'm super tired now. Like, I'm, I'm done with this. Like, my body is sending signals that, like, I'm done. Mm-hmm. But one of the cool things that happens is that, that barrier of fatigue is actually really thin and really weak because if you can... It, actually, that's not true. It can be tough if you're trying to avoid it. If you're not really being honest with yourself, I think that barrier can be really tough to break. But if you just let yourself kind of accept that, like, okay, I'm hitting the first layer of fatigue with just not, simply not being used to using the muscles, the wind in your body, everything like that, the mental concentration on something for, you know, three minutes. And it's just a matter of, like, what, 180 seconds in, you can start to hit that level of fatigue. Mm-hmm. But then, within the next minute, if you really let yourself settle down even further into it, you can move beyond that. Mm-hmm. So in that respect, it's very much like a yoga practice or a meditation practice. And uh, one of the books I'm reading right now um, is by Brian Bautista, and he says, the, the, the practice begins the moment you want to stop. <laughs> <laughs> what book is it? Perfectly Imperfect. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's when, that is a really great point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because something happens there. Something happens at that point. And I don't think a lot of time in our society, you know, we don't get an opportunity a lot of times mm-hmm. to challenge ourselves in ways that isn't just around, like most people, I would, you know, I can speak for myself. For Before I had yoga practice, the biggest challenge in my life was maintaining entertainment. Mm-hmm. Is keeping myself entertained, right? Which is such a like kind of superficial and thin way to like go through your life. But if you don't have any other default unconscious programming that's been conditioned into the way that you interact with the world, and you come home from the job you hate or whatever it is, or like the stress of your life, you don't even have to hate your job to be in this mode. But that can be a coping mechanism, and for me, it was for a long time to use entertainment as a uh, almost like an addiction or a distraction distraction and then it wasn't until yoga gave me an opportunity to interact with the things that like oh by the way you suck at this but that's not a bad thing and there's so much to be gained from sucking at something and especially trying really hard with everything you have in that thing that you suck at Mm -hmm. And it doesn't ever matter, like just like with the yoga practice that you're saying, it doesn't ever matter if you move on from the stage of sucking. Mm -hmm. Because eventually, even if you don't get good at the yoga practice and you always will suck at the poses or the breath and meditation, Mm -hmm. eventually you get good at sucking. (laughs) You know? And it literally, it brings its own benefit in the world in a whole different way. Eventually you find a way that it doesn't suck for you, perhaps. Right, so benefit of kirtan, 
once you get past the suck layer is what? Well, some people don't feel, I mean, some people are just, if they love singing or they love kirtan, they're mm. just blissed out the whole time. Some people That's right. like that. They some walk people in, never get the They're like, it's kirtan, and then they're so happy. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it, it takes you, it's like a form of meditation or a form of yoga practice in that sense. And then what was your question? Once you get past the So second, what you said, I think you said the bliss yeah. is there. Yeah, and then, then you reach a place that you have to go through, you know, something that's a little uncomfortable, and then, you know, or depending on where you're at, maybe something a lot uncomfortable, and, but there's something on the other side of that, just like there is in yoga. Yeah, and, and I think that you said it well with the word bliss, which is like sometimes mm -hmm. samadhi can point to this concept of bliss. Samadhi is more kind of, I think, aptly defined mm -hmm. as um, absorption, and if you're not familiar with samadhi, it's kind of like in Patanjali's Yoga Sutras, it's kind of the, I don't know, it's, I don't want to say goal, but it's like one of the higher levels of the eight-limbed path. And, and once you start to uh, learn the tools and techniques of the yoga of the mind, as Raja Yoga kind of implies, samadhi is kind of the ultimate weapon, mm -hmm. or maybe not weapon, but ultimate tool to really start to interact with this concept of what is real and what is not real mm -hmm. and being absorbed in things that are um, sophic in nature or pure or um, of a high vibrational level going back to that concept absorbing yourself in those things does create an effect of bliss mm -hmm. it's kind of like uh, achieving an altered state of consciousness but in a way that is like you're still fully aware and safe and there's no uh, negative drugs. side effects. Yeah. yeah, there's no side effects other than you probably want to do it again. Yes. <laughs> um, well, and I think a lot of listeners out there probably don't know this, but or maybe they do, but I think it's worth saying either way is that like, you know, this term bhakti, um, bhakti yoga being a, a practice, and wherever I've been to like ashrams or seen yogis practicing bhakti, it's usually of one or two different styles. It's not showing up on the mat doing asana pranayama meditation, bhakti yoga is usually practiced one of three ways. It's either darshan, which is, means like sacred viewing, like, mm -hmm. like focusing the eyes, the drishti, um, like a trataka meditation on something that is holy mm -hmm. in their mind. Then there's kirtan, which is a way to invoke bhakti, and then there is uh, like whirling dervishes, you know, when the, the Sufis would move the body in these repetitive manners and, mm -hmm. and find free-form movement to allow themselves to get into an elevated state of ecstasy. And this is actually where ecstatic dance has its roots, is moving the body in a way where the ego is removed to the extent that you are following almost like a muse mm -hmm. within, within relationship of a higher guidance from inside of you, but also in relationship to the music, to where you know you come into that ecstatic state. Mm -hmm. So whereas kirtan sets the stage to find that peaceful, sophic, bliss state, mm -hmm. that bhakti, that that like supreme love. Mm -hmm. Then when we move into the stage of ecstatic dance, the idea is to, to start the ecstatic dance from that place of love, mm -hmm. to go into even a deeper level of. I guess you could just say samadhi because 
if those of you familiar with the sutras know, there's so many different, you know, mm -hmm. there's eight levels of samadhi. So, well, I, I guess, what do you think? I mean, do you think that bhakti is an appropriate way to define that other place? Mm -hmm. Yeah? Yeah, bhakti is, is an act of love. Um, it is an act of, of devotion. And, it, you know, it's said in most of the yogic texts and traditions that the practices of bhakti yoga are the, like, the fastest or the easiest ways to get to that state of, of samadhi. Um, because because they're sort of fun, you know, and singing and, and dancing and just showing love to something that's already sort of beautiful and open and waiting for you to enjoy it um, is not one of the more difficult ways. You know, sitting in silent meditation and trying to follow the breath for half an hour is, you know, it's a wonderful practice, but it's very difficult <laughs> to hold that level of focus uh, for so long, and your mind goes in all these crazy directions, whereas when you're chanting or you're dancing, you're giving your body, you're giving your brain something to do, um, besides run in a whole bunch of different directions, mm -hmm. and, um, and so you, you can achieve a level of focus through that that's, it's just easier to access that way. Yeah, I think they. Well, I think they both require a great deal of self-discipline, but functioning totally different. Whereas, like, it may be really easy for you to show up on a meditation pillow in the morning and be like, "Okay, I'm going to do five minutes." But during that five minutes, that's when the discipline is required after <laughs> you've shown up. Very different with ecstatic dance and kirtan, where I think the discipline is by um, committing yourself to showing up. Because once you're there, once you're in the action of it, you know, life is a verb. That's what I think makes meditation so bloody difficult. Um, and that's a whole topic for another time, the concept of yoga meditation and different types of meditation and improper meditation versus, you know, supposed proper meditation. But I think kirtan, ecstatic dance, can be forms of meditation in a way where the guesswork is taken out of it, the... the inherent discipline of doing the thing really is only asking you to kind of let go and just like let your voice raise or let mm -hmm. your body move and that's really what it comes down to um, but let's get back to the original question now pointing the other direction about the barriers people have around um, letting themselves show up and, and experience ecstatic mm -hmm. dance like because that can even the words can be like off-putting like wait a minute mm -hmm. I'm not a dancer right yes you hear that too I can't dance I can't sing um, and in kirtan and ecstatic dance you can dance and you can sing if you can if you can make sounds with your mouth and you can move parts of your body then um even if you're paralyzed you can close your eyes and imagine it mm -hmm. visualize it there's Absolutely. no requirement I've seen people sit down and meditate in ecstatic dance yes or just start doing yoga poses yes nobody gave two bits nobody cares about it. it's very i mean non-judgment is is one of the premises of ecstatic dance um and, and a lot of us i think have experienced that type of of samadhi like at a music show perhaps mm -hmm. um but typically we need to have you know we need to travel somewhere to go to a show at a big venue um and and then you know maybe 
indulge in alcohol or substances um, to get to that place where you feel uninhibited enough to have that experience. Um, so our hope is really to to create that a, a safe space and an experience in which people can feel comfortable to express themselves as they wish through movement. Yeah, and I think that what you just said is worth like elaborating on the concept of showing up with your consciousness intact. So like one thing about going and having this ecstatic experience to the band that you've loved your whole life, you already have like certain certain uh, qualif- pre-qualifications. Like you love the music, you know the music, you drive to the venue, and then you know maybe you drink a few beers, smoke a little weed, or whatever it might be to get you to relax and like allow yourself to increase the depth of your emotional and sensory experience of the performance. Where this is kind of flipping that on its head where like you know we're asking you to just come to your local studio you, you won't know the music the music's all going to be live and improvised which I think is really cool um, and fun and exciting and daring and dangerous because it could fail at any point but again nobody cares and then on top of that though you're we're trying to achieve and move into the state of ecstasy through physical movement without without um, altering the state of consciousness in any artificial way. Right? There's no drugs involved, there's no alcohol involved. It's literally about getting the ego out of the way um, from a completely natural and kind of inherent tool and technique mm-hmm. within the body. And it's simply just like movement. And I think that's what's so cool about it is that like ecstatic dance I remember we had a couple people come to one in like April. I think that was the last time we did one. It was April or May. It's been way too long. But um, we had a couple come who were like super free spirits. And they were like moving around the room like animals at, at <laughs> different sir. times. They were being crabs, I think, for a while. Crabs like, crab and like lions and jaguars. <laughs> and it was awesome because it was just like, you know, you, you do have the people who come and they like, sit in meditation or the people who just start moving through like some yoga poses yeah or they just want to sway side to side because that's what they're feeling at the moment you know um but you know i know for myself i like to sort of experiment with like what are different ways can i move my body can i can i move down low can i move up high Mm -hmm. can i move in the center can i make you know angular movements can i make smooth movements um yeah. So there's there's not like one right way, you know. Yeah, I love and even elements like being like, okay, what's it like to move like water or fire? Yeah, or like right. Be very staccato with my movements, like earth yes. might be, or <laughs> even like these two who turn into <laughs> yeah, jaguars. What's a jaguar move like? What's a That's crab a, move like? Yeah, and then they're doing like partner move. yoga, and acro <laughs> yoga. Yes. But like, what was what's been so cool about? Because I think we've done ecstatic dance three or four times uh-huh. and every single time the majority of the people are newbies yes and the people who've done it before absolutely love it mm-hmm. like it's because again like Kirtan ecstatic dance is completely in its own cosmic unit there's nothing like it it's not it not only are we, like the function of going to your favorite band and 
you know, maybe imbibing in something to alter your consciousness. Not only is the function different, but like the result is completely mm-hmm. different. When people leave ecstatic dance, it's like they're on fire. And even brand new mm-hmm. people were like, you know, first I was a little tentative, and then I got into it, and it was awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, we've had, I mean, I, I haven't seen anybody who've left either a kirtan or ecstatic dance who didn't didn't appreciate it to the point where they wouldn't be open to doing it again. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's putting it modestly because most of the feedback we've got from both of these things. It's like, when are you doing this again? Yeah, people are just can you love take, can we do this next week? Yeah, they're like, I need to do this all the time. Yeah, and you feel great in the morning. It's really yeah, nice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you remember it all. Well, I don't know. I do think during the ecstatic dance part, you go into different states. You can go into different right? states. Yeah. Yeah, you can access those different, you know, there are different brainwave states. And mm-hmm. in the yogic practices, we access those different brainwaves through, you know, yoga nidra, meditation, and, and even asana practice, you know, when they hook people up to machines and measure their brainwave activity, they find that uh, people, fluc- you know, we're always fluctuating through brainwave states. It's not like we're just static in them, but... Uh, but definitely ecstatic dance and kirtan can be practices that actually change the way your brain functions for a time period. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's not, it's no small potato that like Patanjali, when he outlined these eight limbs, that all these really distinct and beautiful technological, human technological practices from the yamas all the way up through asana, pranayama, pranayahara, all these things lead to samadhi for a very specific reason. And I remember when I first started yoga, I always questioned that. I was like, okay, I get it. I get that the sutras are kind of pointing towards samadhi, but really what for? Mm -hmm. And I think that that is, that's the personal thing. Like it's, it's that feeling of seeing things clearly in your life that is so unique to not only the individual, but also where they're at in their life at that time. When you get into a state of absorption with reality, with the way things are, whether it be an object or whether it be something internal, like a higher truth or a higher voice you're calling, there's no way we can say, well, this is unequivocally what samadhi is because what it's going to be for Suzanne is going to be different from what's going to be for me. And what it's going to be for you, Suzanne, today is also going to be different from what it's going to be tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And that can also change based on what the focus of the meditation, the samyama practice that invokes samadhi is on. And in the case of ecstatic dance, it's that weird ether. It's that weird ephemeral place in the air where the sound waves are carrying this music and you're interpreting it with as little... Um, latency as possible so there's a, almost like a, a perfect circuit of biofeedback between the eardrum traveling down through the vagal nerve and corresponding with all the neural wiring through the body to move muscle tendon ligament and bone to start to interpret something completely unique to what's capable with your body to what is coming to mind and to what you're open and willing to explore mm-hmm. so so I, I think that that's a good question for the listeners out there to leave them with today because we do have people may not know this but like these these projects even though we keep them donation based and community mm-hmm. events it can be they take a lot of work 
for us to put together. <laughs> we we have to spend a, too much time rehearsing, we, and it's never enough time. We put a lot of bhakti into we do, <laughs> these projects. And I never feel like it's enough time to get more to where I really know. want to. Yeah. We always feel like we're flying by the seat of our pants by the time we get there, even yes. though we have worked our tail off to practice and rehearse. And we're like, we forgot the chord again. <laughs> yeah, and so it's just like, God, this is so hard. Um, so to provide this, yeah, we, we got to go get to work. But that being said, I think leaving leaving anybody who has, thank you if you've listened this long, by the way, anybody who has gotten to this point of listening, to ask yourself, what do you think you might find if the veil of illusion or, uh, you know, the the clarity of reality were to be able to strike into your life at this very moment. What what would that mean for you? How would that um, illuminate some of the belief systems that maybe aren't serving you? Or how might it excite you to the things that you are traveling towards in your life and aspiring towards? So that's my challenge to y'all listening is, you know, get over the fear of it. You know, don't let the whole, uh, don't let fear become what you are and prevent you from allowing yourself experiences, especially if you're, if you listen to this, you're already on the yogic path, you're already curious, you're already a explorer and a, a, you know, internal astronaut of sorts. So I encourage you to try a different practice because asana, pranayama, meditation, deep relaxation, they're fantastic. And I think they're lifelong technologies, mm-hmm. but um, this is a, you know, I know that like, had I, when I started yoga 12, 13 years ago, had there been kirtan and ecstatic dance in my local studio, um, I would have hoped that I would have been adventurous enough to try it, adventurous enough to try it, mm-hmm. and, and at the same time, open enough to... Um, to not judge it and let it become a practice because I, I think that's part of the reason we work so hard to catch up because we you and I we've spent a lot of time doing meditation asana mm-hmm. pranayama but um, there's just as much value I mean that's why we're doing this we mm-hmm. we love this so much there's so much value in this and we've got a lot of catching up to do because it hasn't been part of our yoga practice for the last 12, 13, 14 years however long you've been practicing mm-hmm. so Get started on it now. Don't delay. Don't wait. Do you have any other words of wisdom? Um, let's see. It's, yeah, just show up. Just come as you are. Wear something comfortable. Mm-hmm. And and enjoy it. Give yourself permission to just have fun. It is fun. It's not, you know, yeah. it's not like the serious, like, we're going to sit down and we're really going to practice. You know, it's like, it's, let yourself open up to the, the enjoyment of it. Yeah, because it's not lineage-based, so it's literally a completely secular, non-dogmatic experience. Mm-hmm. So, like, if you have a strong religious belief, it's not going to compromise that in any way. If you are completely the other way and non-religious, it doesn't demand or require you to believe anything either. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we work really hard to make not just um, the kirtan part of it, as we've already mentioned, It'd be um, completely accommodating and welcoming to maybe the tentative person. But we also take measures with the ecstatic dance by changing the environment. And we'll, it'll be cool because as we transform from the kirtan after that first hour into the second hour for the ecstatic dance, mm-hmm. um, not only will the music 
start to shift and we'll start to get up and move. Um, but the environment, we have plans to change that too. So it'll be a lot more conducive to allowing you to move into um, an augmented reality, mm -hmm. an a, a altered state of, of actual physical space to encourage the conscious mind to kind of let go of its presumptions, preconceptions, and self-conscious misgivings. Because once we let go of that ego, there's nothing there but that bhakti. It's just love waiting for us. So, cool. December 9th? December 9th. Be there at 7.30. That's when we're going to start putting on, you know, the revelry. Face paint. The revelry, yes. <laughs> um, I, I think it's fun to dress up. Like, you can just wear, like, yoga clothes for sure. But, like, sometimes we've had people wear, like, cool things, you know? Like, mm -hmm. and why not? Like, just be... Have make we had some girls that wore their two, wore tutus, I think, yeah, last time. Be, fa I <laughs> say be you fabulous. Like. Wear whatever you like. Whatever whatever makes you happy. Whatever the bhakti yes. <laughs> tells you to wear. Yeah. Whatever your, your self-love calls for that day. 